Hello and welcome back to News with Nick and welcome to This Week in Aviation. First bit of news today surrounds Australia's newest airline and ultra-low-cost carrier, Bonza. Now, this is not particularly good news for the airline as last week they had one of their aircraft taken away from them. Now, you're probably wondering how can Bonza have an aircraft literally taken away from them? Now, let me explain. Bonza is owned by a Miami-based alternative investment platform called 777 Partners. As well as Bonza, they own many other investments in industries including insurance, fintech, sports, entertainment, and of course, aviation. Now, the loss of Bonza's aircraft is directly correlated to 777 Partners' other low-cost carrier, which is Flair Airlines based in Canada. Basically, what happened is that the aircraft lesser Airborne Capital, who are leasing out some aircraft to Flair, decide to repossess their aircraft back as Flair, or 777 Partners, were a few days behind on a leasing payment. This basically resulted in Flair losing four of its aircraft, meaning there was a lot of disruption in the network, including mass cancellations, as the airline no longer had enough aircraft to fly all the routes. Therefore, 777 Partners quickly came up with a solution to repurpose Bonza's newest 737 MAX registered VHUDV, or Victor Hotel Uniform Delta Victor, to Flair, which will now be registered as C. FLBG. Now, according to Bonza's spokesperson, they mentioned that this occurrence will not affect Bonza's plans at all. They never took delivery of that specific aircraft, and it's not uncommon for this to happen as a part of fleet planning. Now, ultimately, Bonza will still be receiving their eight initial 737 MAX aircraft and will continue to provide flights, mainly based out of Sunshine Coast. I'm going to open this bit of news up now to Tom, who is unfortunately the only person who's joining me in this year today. No Christos, no Ross. That's right. Unfortunately, I am the only member here today. Shout out to Christos and Ross. If you're listening from home, must be nice being in the listener's shoes for once. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I think it's interesting that Bonza have said that it's not a setback for them because they could have introduced a fourth aircraft onto the market much sooner than expected. Was it a fifth? I think, I think it's a fifth. fifth. Yeah. I now, it was fifth, this yeah. Melk or fourth? The fourth was Melk. Fourth was Melk. I okay. don't actually know what this is called. Yeah, interesting. Um, so you've got Baza, Shazza. Uh, yeah. What's the other one? Baza. Melk. No, then, Sheila is the uh, Ah, uh, that's one. it. Yeah, Sheila, yeah. I, I don't understand how any any spokesperson for any airline can stand there and say that the fact that they know are no longer taking delivery of an aircraft, it doesn't set them back at all. Because quite frankly, that is that's money that could have been brought in through revenue service that's not going to be brought in for a little bit longer until the next air- aircraft is delivered. Exactly, yeah. And what I was going to say is they would have planned to have more frequencies on routes or to have more routes, for example, and they're not able to do that at the time maybe they allocated to because now this delivery has been pushed back. That's right. So surely that would have some form of, I guess interruption on the network if that makes sense yeah that's right and i don't know if you remember from the first episode that we ever did i spoke about flare you did and you know what soundbite on our soundboard was from that very episode i do i do that is a shocking airline it is it's a shocking airline i cannot believe triple seven partners have decided that flare is viable enough or sustainable enough that they can steal a brand new jet from bonza Jeez, the Canadians have it good, don't they? I mean, they had four aircraft taken away from them, though, so what else could they, they do? They four aircraft? I thought it was just one. I'm nah, just it was you. four. It was four, four aircraft, yeah. I mean, that just adds fuel to the fire about it being a shocking airline, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, literally, yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. 
I'm not surprised that triple seven. Maybe triple seven partners should reevaluate their alternative investment strategy when it comes to flare. Maybe divert all future interest and funds and assets towards the only airline that can make the money. Yeah, well, if, <laughs> if you're listening to this, triple seven partners, give Tom a bit of a message because he's got a few words for you. That's right, triple seven partners. When it comes to flare, that is a shocking airline. And also, Tim Jordan, if you're listening. I will happily give you investment strategy advice. Man, I'm sure he's looking forward to that. <laughs> That's right, especially after one of the more senior members of Triple Seven Partners that was the one of the, I believe, one of the head liaisons for heading up Bonza has already departed, right? That was also on the news recently. Really? I've actually not seen that. According to Aviation Source News, they note that the new Aussie startup low-cost carrier Bonza Airlines has seen the departure of its chairman just three months after its official flight operation kicked off. Bonza chairman Rick Howell stepped down from the board of the airline Bonza in the private equity owner holding company, Triple Seven Partners, last month. So there you go. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I don't even think Bonza are doing that bad though, are they? I don't think they are either. And uh. and Bonza were very quick to release a media statement saying that, that it was always planned. You love to see it. You well, love to see it. Makes you feel... Makes you feel... Very good. That's right. <laughs> love that, love that. Uh, well, secondly, I want to talk about Turkish Airlines, which if, which we famously mentioned on the podcast, obviously. Shout out, Ross. And uh, what was the game again called? Um, I don't I don't remember the name of the game. <laughs> but it, it, was I, mentioned, it was mentioned in the podcast once. All I remember, it was so well put together, and I learned so much, uh, including about Turkish, that it actually serves the largest route network of any airline in the world. I had no idea. That's true. Well... I got shafted with Peach, but let's sort of leave that to the side. Anyway, coming back to Turkish Airlines, they're turning 90 years old this year. Have a few days ago, they revealed some rather grand plans for the airline over the coming decade. And in the announcement, they mentioned that they wanted to achieve a goal of having a fleet size of 800 aircraft by 2033 and to have 435 aircraft by the end of the year. According to chaviation.com data... Turkish Airlines currently have 72 aircraft on order, including 49 Airbus A321neas, 14 A350s, and 9 Boeing 787 Dreamliners. The airline also had a very good financial year in 2022, capping off with a $2.7 billion net income, which was a much greater figure than what most European and US carriers achieved within the same time period. Now, in an interview with Simple Flying, Turkish Airlines chairman of the board Dr. Professor Ahmet Bolat, sorry if I've pronounced your name wrong there, revealed that the airline is happy to significantly contribute to Turkey's economy and development in the next 10 years and is strategically planning for its 100th anniversary, which will occur in 2033. The airline is also looking at boosting its consolidated revenue to $50 billion by 2033, while they're expecting a 7% per annum passenger growth rate which would double its current passenger capacity by 2033. Now, I'm going to open this up to you, Tom. What do you think of the growth of Turkish Airlines? I think it's a really good thing, and I think that Turkish Airlines generally do have the ability to go into competition with what we call the big Middle Eastern carriers, so your Etihad, your Qatar, and your uh, Emirates. There's a few important things to point out here. The first one being that to our Australian listeners who may not be familiar with Turkish... It is a monumentally recognised carrier 
in mm-hmm. its region. I'm sure everyone here who's listening from Australia has heard of Virgin, heard of Qantas, heard of Jetstar. Turkish sits on the same scale as Qantas, even larger, in fact, in the region, both domestically and internationally. Obviously, maybe not domestically, maybe I mean more in the Schengen region, you know, serving yeah, other European yeah, countries, because yeah. they're all so close together, it may as well be domestic. Point being, the second thing that's important to note is the only thing that can stunt Turkish's growth or the only thing that can hold it back from being a, a hub and spoke network as large as one of the three major Middle Eastern carriers is its sort of um, geopolitical landscape, right? Where, where it's yep. situated, it's situated close to Russia. It's Its government aligns with some unsavory characters, which is both a good and a bad thing, I suppose, because it might mean that they are granted air right, like use of air rights that other carriers might not be, making it quicker to get from A to B. But at the same time, it also may come at a cost of sanctions from Western nations because of the country's close relations to countries like Russia or China or stuff like that. So it's a double-edged sword. But like I said, that's the only thing that can really stop their growth. Turkish is clearly huge. They've clearly got grand plans for the future and people clearly love them. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the topic of Russia, as you said, you know, if you look at the UAE, Emirates are still flying to St. Petersburg. They're still flying to Moscow. And to be honest, being in a situation like that for them is actually an advantage because they can fly over Russian airspace. And we mentioned this in the podcast, I think, a few episodes ago, that one of the challenges that we've got in the moment in the aviation industry, particularly flying between Asia and Europe, is the fact that that Russian airspace is closed. And if you look geographically, it's a huge chunk of airspace. And airlines are having to divert their aircraft through that Russian airspace, either down to the south or really far north, literally the polar route. The perfect example of that, Finnair's 350 flying from Helsinki to Haneda. Well, Finnair's 350, well, Finnair in general flying to Asia is an well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mess. Giant L-shape rather than literally, a straight line. Exactly, yeah. But um, now coming back to Turkish Airlines, it's one thing that they're growing the company, but it's another thing that they've got an absolutely fantastic airport to operate out of. Now, Istanbul got a brand new state-of-the-art airport in 2018 and it has the capacity to grow. So in total, it'll have a capacity of 150 to 200 million passengers once all the expansions are done. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of people that that can go through that. So if you want to set up a big hub-and-spoke operation, Istanbul Airport's a great place to do it. And I think... Goodness me. This is like, it's good to see airports and airlines working together and government for that reason. Mm. They're working together to grow the aviation industry because they see potential in the aviation industry to bring in money into their economy. It's funny talking about that and then uh, talking about a government boosting an airline's profitability, its promotional elements. It makes me think of uh, what we were saying about ITA, Alitalia. Oh, I mean, ago. look, yeah, that that's quite the opposite, really. Yeah, again, it's a fine line. They're clearly doing something right. I guess demogra- geographically, they're they're well poised. Probably yeah. one of the only islands that are well poised. I mean, even Singapore, right? Like, it's a great gateway into the Asian region, but it's not really that great of a gateway into the US region. Nah, well, that's the beauty of uh, Middle Eastern carrier. 
from my understanding, you you have access. Now, don't quote me on this. I think it's seventy percent of the world's population within a seven-hour flight of that sort of region of the Arab region of the Arab of, of the Gulf region. So makes I'm talking UAE, Qatar, Riyadh, yeah. even you know. Makes sense why Riyadh and Saudi are trying to capitalize. So. Yeah, I mean, well, if you look at the if you look at the players in the region that have done so well for them, I'm talking particularly Emirates and Qatar. Why wouldn't you capitalize on it? Yeah, you absolutely. know, and there's definitely market share there. It's a growing segment, and you know, I still think even if you look at projects like Project Sunrise, it'll which is which has the aim of bypassing those stopovers. I still think there's enough passenger traffic to warrant a hub and spoke operation particularly you know if you're traveling from somewhere to somewhere like adelaide to birmingham right there's no way you're gonna ever justify a non-stop direct flight between adelaide and birmingham goodness the only way you're gonna do that is through a hub where you can feed traffic onto those planes to actually fill up those planes to make it work and that's basically how emirates can fill up those a3s because they've got such a big hub and spoke operation that they can fill up aircraft from about 10, 20 different destinations, you know? I agree. I think the only way you could justify a route like that is if you're Michael O'Leary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's throw a 737 MAX 200. MAX yeah. 8 200. Yeah, that can make on a, it. That's on an fine. Adelaide to Birmingham. Yeah, you no, know that, what? If work. you shave off two toilets from the cabin... There's more fuel available. Let's That's do it. it. And six extra seats. <laughs> and six extra seats. Yeah, okay. Look, I, I'll, I'll say one thing. Are these 321s that they're getting delivered, that Turkish are getting delivered, are they Neos? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Extended um, range to a degree. My follow-up to that is they could be one of the first carriers. We could see operate a hub-and-spoke network using narrow bodies. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in the narrow bodies nowadays given their capability. The A three twenty one XLR is a prime example of that. Or even the A three twenty one LRs that Jetstar has six of nowadays. Yes, and as Jetstar publicized through Jetstar Newsroom about three weeks ago, they are shifting from the seven eight seven to the three twenty one long range on their Japan routes from Cairns and Coolangatta. Really? That's gonna start wow. in a few months from what they are indicating. Uh, which is interesting. I, I don't know, man. From the moment I saw JetBlue doing Transatlantic in a 321neo, I thought to myself, this is not customer-focused. This is not consumer-focused. What passenger is going to enjoy being, oh, wow, it's cheap. Yeah, okay, but can you feel your legs when you get off the plane? Like, ugh. I was going to say, Tap Portugal do the same thing as well. From yeah. Lisbon to the east coast of America, Transatlantic, they throw on their 321LRs oh, on that. Oh, my so, gosh. Uh, I still it's, think it's, it's a, becoming a It's becoming a trend. And to be honest, it's cheaper for the airline to buy these aircraft and now you've got the capability to be able to throw them on that route. I think that the 321 LR is honestly the most capable aircraft. It's Good. the most flexible aircraft that you can buy right now. Most versatile. You can, you can, exactly, yeah. You took the words out of my mouth there, mate. Well done. Yeah. But you can throw them on short haul routes. You can throw them on medium to long haul routes and it'll do everything. Mate, um, take for example, again... Let's take a local example. Jetstar, right now, using the 321neos on Denpasar one day, and the very next they'll be flying to Hobart. Yeah, that's it. You know? That's it. Same aircraft. Yeah. Not going to see that with the 787, tell you what. 787 and Hobart, that'll be very interesting. Actually, you do see that with Qantas 787s, because they do the, the Antarctic flights, and then they land do in they, Hobart. Do they land in Hobart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen that. And oh, 350, 
351,000 also in Hobart with 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 um Cathay. Cathay? They did it for 4 months. Really? They did a route that came into Melbourne, cargo run to Hobart and back and then back up to not not passenger service, but still. Is that during COVID? That was during COVID. Yeah, yeah. right, okay. There was some there was some interesting movements during yeah, COVID yeah. though, to but, be fair. But, but look, yeah, I I, I back Turkish being one of the first carriers to attempt to make a narrow body network work. Yeah. I back him. Because there I don't see until the range is extended even further, I do not see any Arab carrier investing in narrow body to the extent that they have with the three twenty ones. Because obviously they're so close to Europe. It makes sense. That's fine. We expect them to use them on European routes. But imagine, right? Turkey Turkish suddenly go Right, we're gonna run from uh, we're gonna run a three twenty one from Istanbul to Singapore. Yeah, that's a bit far fetched, mate. But that's <laughs> about ten hours. But yeah, you never know, mate. I mean, the way technology is going, you never know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that is very true. Well, I guess that's the end of the news for this fortnight. We hope that you enjoyed it. The main episode will be coming out next week. We do apologize about that. I want to apologize. Here we go. Thank you, Joycey. Thank you, Joycey. Never fails to disappoint, he doesn't. That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as Nick mentioned, keep an eye out for the podcast release. It is going to be the first day of the new month, May the 1st. New month, new podcast. Get get keen for it. It's a good one. You'll hear all about the great story of Anset as part of our Black Box segment. And I know for a fact we have a ripper game show segment coming for you too. So Yeah? Well, just want to say as well, if you guys have been following the Instagram page, a week ago, I think, I put up a regional roulette and I let you guys choose where we fly to for the day. Now, by a fingernail, literally, you guys chose Brisbane. It was 13 votes for Hobart and it was 14 (laughs) votes for Brisbane. So we're going to Brisbane. when I say we, me and Ross. Bruce Vegas, baby. Yeah, we're going to Vegas, baby. But we're going tomorrow. So keep an eye out. On I'm sure that we'll Instagram. have some little sound tidbits ready to go. Oh, we will. Episode. We will. Don't worry. It'll be a, uh, it's a business trip. We'll claim it back on tax. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a business trip. Strictly Radio Runway business. That's it. That's it. But very much looking forward to going tomorrow. Sorry. Keep your eyes peeled on the Insta page for some interesting updates while we're up in Brisbane. Keep an eye on the Instagram. Keep an eye on Spotify on May 1st in the morning for the next episode. Episode 6 of Radio Runway. Episode 6. Wow, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. Yeah. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. No, thank you. See you next time.